Amen. If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Uh, That's where we're going to be working together this morning. Be there with Jesus and his disciples uh, as he is closing out this, this season in his ministry. As he's there in the upper room, as he's finishing his time there, and we see him praying both, uh, both with and for his disciples. Uh, it's our practice and tradition here to stand for uh, the reading of Scripture. We do this for a number of reasons, one of them being just to activate our hearts and our minds, just to engage us and make us present in what is happening here, uh, so that we're not here as just spectators, like we're not here like watching like a cosmic tennis match or something. We're here to be a part of what God is doing, um, to participate uh, in the Word of God together. So would you stand with me now, and let's, let's listen to what the King is about to say to us. This is John 17, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, And loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I uh, confess to you my distracted heart, my... Uh, My conflicted spirit this morning, my temptation to be somewhere else other than right here, even if I'm here in body, my mind wants to run and go other places. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive that. I pray that you would, as you can, work in spite of that, that you would speak to my deaf ears this morning, that you would open my eyes so that I might actually see you and that you, would, that you would awaken my soul this morning out of the slumber of laziness and distraction and busyness. Whatever it is right now for every single person in this room, Lord, I pray that you would just break us of that, liberate us from that. That in this moment, we might get a glimpse of what it's like to be truly in your presence and to hear from you. And so I pray that you do that, in spite of us, that you would come and work. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so a couple of years ago, uh, I was talking with a friend, and really friend is probably a stretch. He was more like just an acquaintance. It was one of those guys that um, 
that if you are coaching little leagues, if you ever coach, if one day some of you will, some of you have, if you ever coach little leagues, sometimes you just get paired up with like another dad whose wife checked the box that said he would be willing to coach, right? And so it was one of those situations where I kind of knew him and we'd been together a little bit, and I, but we were just, we were just there making regular conversation, just a normal one of those, you know, about family, kids, work, nothing too deep. To be honest, that's where we tend to keep things, you know, where it's, where it's safe. Uh, it was a safe conversation. Uh, we, we like to keep things, uh, the, you know, keep it manageable. Let's not reveal too much of ourselves to people so that they won't actually know uh, that we don't have it all together. Um, at the time, what this man didn't know was that I was wrestling internally with whether or not the Lord was calling our family to uh, to go and plant this new church. That was weighing on me uh, a lot during that season. I had all sorts of doubt, all sorts of apprehension about it. Uh, I was a wreck emotionally. And so in the midst of that moment, while the kids are just like running around totally oblivious to this, and this is kind of how the world functions, right? It just keeps on rolling around you as you've got all this internal uh, dialogue taking place and um, everything was just just going crazy. The parents were cheering for their sons. I said to him, I asked him if I could tell him something that was on my mind. And I still don't know why in the world, in the middle of that game, I chose to do that. I was actually uh, the coach. And so uh, the parents on our team knew me as the guy who yelled and jumped up and down a lot on the sideline. And I had some parents say, man, you were calm this week. And I was like, yeah, I took it easy on the nine-year-olds. Um, Anyway, they're there, and I asked him if I could tell him something was on my mind, and he was like, sure, man, what's up? And so I was like, uh, I just told him that God seemed to be uh, pressing on us to go into the unknown, to, to take a step of immense trust, of immense faith. Uh, that we were really afraid uh, that God was calling us to leave the security of where we were, to leave the structure and the foundation, to leave where we were, to go and begin this gospel work that is now what we call Rivercrest. And so he agreed, this, this guy who probably was like, man, that was way more than I was expecting. He, he agreed to pray uh, with and for me as we continued to seek the Lord's direction in that, to seek his guidance and wisdom. And that's how we left it. And I honestly thought that's the last I'll ever hear about that and probably never see this guy again. He's going to move his kid off the team and take him to somewhere where there's less baggage. And so um, he came up to me the next week. It was at practice, actually. So we had game on Thursday. Next practice was Tuesday night. He comes up to me and he says, I just need to ask you a question. And uh, he said, what would you do if you knew that there was no way that you could fail? That was the question to me. What would you do if you knew? Okay, so not just if you were optimistic. Not just if you thought it might work out. It was, so, so like it wasn't about reading the terrain. It wasn't about doing ge- uh, ge- geographic surveys of, and demographic surveys of the area. It wasn't about uh, coming up with the best game plan. It was just what would you do if you knew for an absolute certainty that you could not fail? I want you to keep that question in your mind. That's the question I want you to keep in your mind because as Jesus is closing out this prayer, it's you that he he has on his mind. It's you that Jesus is praying for. We looked uh, last week as, as Jesus began this prayer in John 17 as he was praying for glory. 
and he was praying for his disciples. And we can see that those prayers for his disciples are also, are also the prayers for all of his disciples. We understand that. But here, at this point, at verse 20, it's even more specific. He's praying, look at what he says. He's praying not for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, that, now he's praying for you. Very specifically, he's praying for me. He's praying for all of us uh, in this room. We just read it. We just read those words that John recorded in his gospel that came from the mouth of Jesus. And so if you have, I want you to hear this on the front end, if you have uh, entrusted your life to Jesus Christ for, for your salvation, it's you that Jesus has in his mind at this moment. I say, you are part of the glory of Jesus because you are the result of the impossible to fail mission that Jesus gave to his disciples. You are, you are the fruit of that apostolic witness, that apostolic mission that Jesus gave to his church. Remember, Jesus had said back in chapter 15, just before this, he said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And then he said this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may do what? Bear more fruit, right? You see, the underlying reality and all of that is that every true branch that is truly attached to the vine will truly bear fruit. That's the inevitable reality that comes. It's, that the, it's, it's what branches do. It's, it's, it's that what Jesus is confirming here in, in, in verse 20 is that it will come to be. It cannot fail. He's confirming the fruit of the continued apostolic witness. He's not praying for those who might believe. That's not what he says. He's not praying for those who will hopefully believe. That's not it either. You see, God doesn't deal in possibility. I said this last week, and I want to reiterate it. A lot of times we try and bring God into our bubble. We sort of shape him to look a lot like we do, to, to function and drive through the world like we do. But God doesn't deal in potential. He doesn't deal in possibility. He deals in chosen. You see, that's what he does. He chooses because he's God. Anything less than that sells him short of his sovereignty over all things. And so Jesus is praying in the present for those who will believe. Those who will believe in the future. And the inherent promise is there that their witness, that the witness of the people, of the disciples, that it will be effective. It's that others will believe that they'll trust in Jesus Christ. They'll confess their sin. They'll recognize that they are powerless to save themselves. They will believe. They will trust that the perfect sacrifice of Jesus has satisfied divine justice against our sin. They will cling to Jesus as their Savior, and they won't just invite Him into their lives like they're inviting a buddy to come over and watch the game. No, they will surrender their lives to Him because He is the Lord. And so I'll ask you, again, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Well, in this passage this morning, we see Jesus closing out his prayer. And in, we, in that, we see that this is a prayer for unity. That's the theme. 
And there are three ways that we see this. Jesus prays for unity in faith. He prays for unity in purpose. And he prays for unity in mission. That's what we're going to see as we move forward here together. And we've touched on the first one already, the the unity of faith. Unity of faith is the fruit of the apostolic witness that we find in the Bible. And the central point of that unity of faith is not an idea. It's not that we're united around a great team or a city or a school or a community. That's not what it is. The central point of our faith is not a concept. It is a person. Jesus is our faith. I want you to look back at verse 20 again. He says there, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. That they will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. You see there, it's a call for unity. It's that they might be a single unit. That's what it means to be one. And the way that Jesus describes that oneness of his followers, if you didn't, if you didn't notice it, I want you to see this. The example that he points to in this moment is not a family. It's not a team. It's not a group of best friends. He actually doesn't point to anything in this world. He points to, well, he points to the Trinity. He points to uh, the unity of God the Father and God the Son. That's the reference point for the unity that Jesus desires for all his disciples. It's nothing less than the unity of God himself. It's that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. That's, that is the goal. That's the vision for the church that Jesus leaves for his disciples. That's the vision. It's a vision for us of of intimacy that can only be described as being in one another, not near, not around, not close to, but in one another. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. It's a unity that stretches across every people. It stretches across every place, every time and every culture. It's the unity that John is going to get a glimpse of in Revelation where he describes a great multitude that no one could number. You see this. He's painting this picture for us of of a great multitude of people. And the way he describes them is saying this from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're all there in it together. That's the vision John sees of the future. And it's a vision for the church that Jesus longs to see today on earth. It's one of supernatural unity. The true fellowship of hearts, what has been called the mingling of souls together, is something we should strive for. It's one of the reasons we talk so much here about community. It's just another word for unity, right? It's just common unity. It's one of the most redundant words in the English language. It says the same thing twice in one word. It's why we're here to be one in Christ to have Him in us and us in Him and all of us together in the Father. So that we will live out what Paul told the church in Ephesus, to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Or as we heard Jesus say last week, very simply, is that they may all be one even as we are one. And as one, having unity in faith, having unity in Christ, we share now in a new unity in purpose. We share a unity in recognizing why 
we even exist. It's a new, redeemed purpose. It's what the catechism says, right? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose of every follower of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, that's not a natural world and life view. It's not. And it takes His supernatural help to live it out, to be, to be singularly focused. And our age of distraction requires some divine intervention, It does. Just in my life, I feel the tension of being distracted almost all the time, of being all over the grid all of the time. I have, listen, I have my responsibilities as a husband, uh, as a father. I have the weight of being a friend and a pastor, the weight of being a son and a brother. I have all of these things pulling on me. And, And listen, so do you. And my list is no longer than yours. I know that you have a different responsibility in every relationship that you've ever engaged in. You're just like me. And I don't wish that on you, but I know it to be true. That your heart is just as distracted, pulled in just as many directions. Have all of these things pulling on us. And, and, and what Jesus offers for you and I, for all of his disciples, this is what he offers, is a singular purpose. So again, Paul says in Colossians 1.18 that in everything he might be preeminent. That's what John the Baptist cried out in John 3.30, that he must increase, but I must decrease. Can you imagine just for a moment if your marriage or even your dating relationships operated with that mindset? Can you imagine the authenticity that would blossom in all of your relationships if we were able to live with a singular focus of the glory of God in Christ? Do you, like, do you think my wife would appreciate it more if she saw less of my selfishness and more of Jesus? That was almost the loudest amen we've had here right there. Do you think that my children would be encouraged in my life by seeing more of my insecurity or more of my unfailing trust in Christ's will for my life every single day? Do you think that the church, I'm using that big C church, the church in the, in the world, the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ, that the church of Jesus Christ would walk in greater unity with Jesus as our singular focus? Or if we continued to move with our eyes of comparison fixed on the world. You see, here in John 17, Jesus says it there in verse 21, that his desire is for all his disciples, all of them, to be one. That's, again, that's the singular unit. He describes that unity as being as close, uh, so close to God that the only description he can give is that being in one another. And, And here's what he says after that. He says that this is so, okay, here's the purpose, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There it is. That's our purpose. That the world may believe that you have sent me, and this changes everything. This changes everything. So as a husband, my primary purpose is that my wife, when she sees me, when she talks with me, when she watches me from a distance, when she checks in on my social media, when she sees me uh, uh, fix her a bowl of ice cream, or more likely when she fixes me a bowl of ice cream, when, when that, that what she sees is that my primary purpose in all of that is that she would believe that the Father sent the Son. Even on a normal Tuesday. 
And my primary purpose as a father is to show my kids by how I speak to them, by how I laugh with them, by how I cry with them, by how I encourage them, by how I apologize to them, how I confess my sins to and in front of them. And even how I discipline them is to show them that the Father sent the Son. Listen to me. We could do this all day with every relationship that you have. The way you interact with the coworkers, the relatives, the neighbors across the street, even the one who won't cut his grass and never takes his trash can back, right? The way that you interact with that annoying kid at the birthday party, the man who brings you the chips and salsa, all of those are opportunities to show, to live out in unity with God's people that the Father sent the Son and that we can believe in Him. It means that we see every single human being that we ever encounter as a person who has a soul. That they are a soul. That's freedom. I know we don't tend to think of it like that, but that is liberty. To now walk with the singular goal that my only purpose in this life is to bring glory to God by how I interact with every human being, that's freedom, that's liberty. Now I don't have to wonder, who am I supposed to be in this relationship A singular purpose frees us from walking in jealousy. It frees us from lusting after what someone else has. And yes, listen, we fall short of this all the time. I fail to demonstrate the truth that Jesus died for my sins. I fail to do that and and, and I fail to show that I've been adopted as a child of the living God. I fail to do that in how I roll my eyes. I fail to do that in how I stare at my phone or neglect to show love. I fail to do that with my impatience. And I seem to especially do this. I especially seem to fail those whom I profess to love. And that's why I'm so thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ. It's because I need it every single day. Every single day. If left to the desires of my heart, If left to the attitudes and intentions of my mind, I would fail every one of you all of the time. I would. But you see, that's why Jesus came, right? He came to save even a wretch like me. I think I've heard that somewhere. And that's good news. It's good news because he came to redeem his people for his glory and his desire for them is to have unity in him. And that unity of purpose is freedom from the world. That's what Jesus is praying for us here. To walk in freedom. That's the unity of the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a unity in purpose which leads us to the last thing. And it's our unity in mission. Look back at verse 24. I want to read this for us one more time. In verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know me, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did, Did you catch that? Look at verse 26 again. Jesus said this, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
That's one of those verses you could just gloss over because it's in the middle of a bunch of confusing sentences, right? I want to hear one more time. I made known to them your name. So I made it known, right? That's past tense. And I will what? Continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What Jesus just said right there is that even though he is right now sitting presently at the right hand of the Father in glory, that that's where he is today. What he just said is he is not retiring yet. He isn't done working just yet. Yes, he has entrusted us with the work, but no, he has not left us alone to accomplish it. It's too important. And so he isn't done. Listen, there will come a time for that. There will come a time when he will be done, when every lost sheep will have been found, when there will no longer be a need to leave the 99 and go after the one. That day is coming. But it's not here yet. And so in the not yet in which we find ourselves, Jesus is still at work. He's still seeking and saving the lost, still calling them by name. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. You see, if Jesus is on your side, if Jesus is engaged in this mission with you, it's a mission that has no chance of failure. That's why Paul boasts. In Jesus Christ. I love that word. I will boast in Jesus Christ. He's not bragging in Jesus. A boast in the first century was a ceremonial war cry. It was, we're going to stand on this hill and we're going to shout because we know the victory. It's a war cry of certain victory because Jesus is on the battlefield. It's just like my friend asked me, what would you do if you knew there was no way that you could fail? What would you do if you knew that there was no way you could fail? The answer for me is simple. I'd share Jesus. If I knew that I could not fail, I'd be fearless in sharing Jesus. I would be relentless in sharing Jesus. I'd trust that Jesus has equipped me uniquely for the task. And it's not that every single one of us, I want to be clear, it's not that every single one of us has the same gifting or that every single one of us does this the same way. That's not what unity means. That's uniformity. It's not that every single one of us is gifted in the same way. And, and the proof of that is if I picked up that guitar right now, the sound that would come out of it, would, leave, would babies would cry, people would start running out the door. Like I could not begin to touch that thing and do anything close to music. If I sat in my office and wrote hymns, I'd get fired. Some people have that gift. I just don't. I could draw the lines and dots and man, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be music. It'd be noise. It'd be more like that clanging cymbal I've read about. No. It's not that we're all supposed to be the same in everything that we do or even go to the same places. It's that we're all engaged in the same mission. And so what I'm praying for you, what I'm praying for this church every, every day, every week, is that you will embrace the identity that Jesus has given you in him. That you will use the gifts that he has entrusted to you. That he is uniquely and purposely given to every single person who is called on his name. That's what Paul was getting on 1 Corinthians 12. 
when he said, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So you see, there's all sorts of stuff, all sorts of variety in how we're gifted for the mission. But the fact remains that every single one of you has been gifted, that every single one of you with your weakness, with your timidity, with your fear, with your doubt, with your uncertainty, all of those things that are wrestling in my heart at the same time, every single one of those things, that every single one of you has been equipped to engage in the mission. And one of the primary ways that this is displayed is in how we relate to one another. William Hendrickson says, when believers show in their lives that they have been with the Lord, their actions and attitudes which speak even louder than words will point to Christ as the source of their moral and spiritual strength. It's the idea, and we all need to learn this, that your life is a billboard. It's telling a story to those around you. Your life, how you spend your time, how you spend the money that you make, how you use the liberty that God has given you in Christ. That is a billboard to the world about what really matters to you. And so I often ask myself the question that if someone were able to look into my bank account, if someone were able, which by the way, my banker is Gregory, so he can, so that's borderline uncomfortable, but we deal with it anyway. um, If someone could look into a timesheet of my life, and see how I spent each moment of each day. Would they believe that I walk with the Lord? If someone could see that, if they could see my life unfiltered, they could see the desire of my heart. They could see the fear in my mind. They could see the way I use my time at work. They could see the way I use my time with my kids. If they could see that, would they believe that I walk with the Lord? If someone saw my prayer life, like a true picture of my prayer life, would they believe that Jesus was sent to the world by the Father? That's our purpose. So we're told, so that they will believe that you sent me. Our purpose is to leverage whatever gifts and goods that God has entrusted to us in hopes that not just, in hopes that just one sheep who has run off just might be called back into the fold. And we do this knowing, here's the beauty of it, we do this knowing that we can't fail because Jesus is at work within us by His Spirit continuing today to make it known. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do for the kingdom if you knew that you couldn't fail? Go and tell the world. Go and be who God has made you to be. Show them in your life that all the world will see the glory of Jesus that was given to him before the foundation of the world. You see, the beauty of the mission, the beauty of the mission is that while we've been given an impossible task, and it is, we can't change anyone's heart, I can't save anyone's soul, the glory of God is that we've been united with Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus Christ is one who always accomplishes impossible missions. Let's go. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would empower us today as your people. Whether it is Lexington, whether it is Irmo or West Columbia or, or Liberia or wherever. God, help us to trust that you are dwelling in us by your spirit, that you are presently at work in us by your spirit, and that you are not counting on us to fulfill the mission. You're just calling us to engage in it and to trust that you're going to win, that you already have. Help us to trust you more, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.